There can't be physical life without water. It's one of the most basic needs that we have. But what about spiritual life? Did you know that there's a connection between water and following God? Welcome to Word for the Week, Season 2, Episode 29. Using water for a God-focused purpose goes back thousands and thousands of years. We've entitled today's discussion, Questions I've Always Wanted to Ask About Baptism. And we're going to dive into five of those questions today. So let's just launch right into our questions, starting with this one. Okay. Is baptism even necessary to follow Christ in the first place? Well, and it's a really great opening question. Uh, and, uh, and, and it's illegitimate, because if you think of it, um, here's this ritual, and, and it's like Christianity uh, is supposed to be about, uh, you know, belief and, and how authentic we are and helping other people and right. all of this. Right. So, you know, you could say, why waste your time dabbling in a water ritual? Hmm. Uh, and, uh, well, a biblical answer we can give is this. Uh, let me just set it up for you before you read it. Okay. Here's Jesus. Uh, about to leave the earth. He's in his physical form. And so he's giving his last commands. And uh, this is that last command. Okay. From Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, Jesus gives some pretty sp specific commands within this passage of commands. Right. Uh, for instance, you've got go to the people. Mm -hmm. uh, they're saying don't stay within your walls. Go to the people. Right. Uh, disciple them, which really means to teach them to follow God to, right. to show reverence, right. teach them the commands. And of course, when we look at it, no new command I give to you it's a, is uh, one from the beginning, and it all revolves around love. Mm -hmm. So you have that. <clears throat> then you have baptism. But we also have it stated in a very specific way in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So right. a certain understanding of God is going on there. And while we do all these things, the promise is that he's there with us. Mm -hmm. No matter what comes, right to the end, he'll be there. So. And we refer to this passage as the Great Commission. And since baptism is mentioned, it must be pretty important. Yeah, if it's in, in the last of the commands given, right. you know, it's, it's pretty important. Right. Uh, and... Um, where we stand with that is not simply that it's important in, in this one namesake. If you look at it throughout um, the gospel record or through the New Testament, you have these baptisms going on. As an example, you have Jesus himself being baptized. Right. Uh, in his case, for the sake of righteousness is what he says. Uh, Peter launches the church uh, from his uh, great inspired sermon. Mm -hmm. First reaction he calls for, the first action, baptism. Mm -hmm. uh, Philip is just on the loose, crazy man, running around <laughs> to converting everybody in, by chapter 8. And uh, what it's all a, a chapter about baptisms in, in there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Ananias baptizes Paul by Acts chapter 9, mm -hmm. once again. And the households of Lydia and then the Philippian jailer uh, in Acts 16 all baptized. As soon as they understand what's going on, baptized. 
So as we look at it through the history of the early church, if we're going to use the Bible as our reference, then uh, not only is baptism important, it is actually central to the Christian faith. So it's obvious that this practice of water baptism is very important. So just out of curiosity, here's a question. Mm -hmm. When was the first baptism performed in the name of Christ? Okay, and that's that's a, an important qualification because we, we can find forms of baptism through the entire Bible, mm -hmm. New, Old and New Testament. Mm -hmm. But And scholars, uh, you know, they've adjusted dates and all that, so we'll take that into account. But if you were to look at the first baptism in Jesus' name, it would take us to that fateful Pentecost in 30, um, 30 A.D. And Peter's uh, giving his great sermon, as we mentioned. And uh, people are, are so moved that they would, what do we do to get things right with God? Doesn't right. bat an eye. Doesn't, doesn't take a breath. Just straight, right out, repent, be baptized. So. And... Scripture records a large crowd, which leads me to this next question. All right. Does baptism have to be public? Is is a private baptism, you know, unbiblical? You know, I was just thinking, hey, here's a whole new way to make money for the church. You know, it's like you have your public <laughs> and then, but if you want a private <laughs> baptism, first class. No, oh, that's dear. not even right to joke about. No. no that's pretty bad. Um but anyway, and I probably because I, I, I the, the person I, I won't even clip this out of the <laughs> out of the final product in our in our uh, discussion uh, in the post production. But anyway, getting serious. Uh, as far as public and private baptisms, mm. um, if we use once again um, biblical history and the example of the church as our guide, here's the things we find. Uh, one is there um, is no question we mentioned Peter already the first uh, public or the first baptisms definitely public mm -hmm. uh, before all of Jerusalem you know mm -hmm. uh, when Jesus was baptized even though it was a slightly different focus going on very public baptism mm -hmm. um, uh, Paul pretty much there were witnesses there in mm -hmm. fact the very mode of baptism is involved we never find in the New Testament, kind of it'd be an interesting question. It's not even included, so we're throwing this in for free. <laughs> you never see any mention of somebody baptizing themselves. You know, like, uh, there you are, you're convinced, you just, um, off you go to your favorite fishing spot or whatever, and you do a baptism. Yeah. It's always done in Scripture between two people, mm -hmm. the one professing faith and probably the one who mentored them to faith. Right. Which fits um, you know, uh, Matthew 28, it fits right with the, the commandment in there. Mm -hmm. So in, in that alone, there's always a witness. There's at least the witness of the person who is doing the baptizing. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, that being mm -hmm. said, there was no one else around in Acts 8 when Philip baptized the Ethiopian eunuch. Yeah. So there were only the two of them. Yep, the closest we have to a private baptism. Yeah. Uh, and... Um, it brings in a, a key element, not the only key element, but it does bring in this key element is that if we were to, to really look at this, what really matters, it is a public profession of Christ. That's the ideal situation. Even for the eunuch, 
he was at least professing before Philip, who explained all the st stuff to him. Mm -hmm. He was professing before him. And that's as public as they could be. They were on this lonely road, road going somewhere. And there happened to be water, so he does what he feels he should do. Mm -hmm. But the ideal situation, when you look at the paradigm of what baptism is, it's proclamation before the world. Right. You're going to follow Jesus. So, of course, the ideal situation is going to be public. That's mm -hmm. the way, you know, it's to be done. But God can't be reduced to a formula either. Um, right. You know, there can be Philip-type situations where, you know, guess what? It's just not possible to have a crowd around when you're baptized. I recall you doing a few end-of-life baptisms yes. where a person couldn't possibly come out in public. So that's God being more than reasonable. It shows his compassion. I mean, yeah, yeah. It, it really does. Yeah. Um, so here's a question that dovetails off of that. Yeah. Sprinkle or immersion. Okay. Mm -hmm. Is it critical how water is used in baptism? Yeah, that's a, another big question. And it's um, not that it really has to be a big question. It's just that people being people, mm -hmm. uh, we tend to make big out of the uh, little and, and then make a little out of the big. Mm -hmm. And so the short biblical answer to this is, no, it doesn't truly matter. But I know pastors, there's that short answer being pastor code. Yeah, right. <laughs> for there's more to know. So, yep. so pastor, what's yeah. more to know? <laughs> what's more to know? It's kind of yep. like pastor says a tone and you're going, I sense a big butt in there. Uh -huh. And it's, it's true. And it's more than the pastor's physique. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. Oh, dear. It? It's um, one of those days, folks. It's one of those days. <laughs> um, and and, and I, I'd like to get on to, as we get in here, is, is what perfectly to me answers what we just covered about um, um, the situation, not just about the water itself, but um, mm -hmm. uh, how it's done before people. Right. But the, uh, the where I'm going with this is, is this, is the, the more in the thing, the pastor code for more, here's where I was going. <laughs> Baptism is as much symbolic as it is physical in its obedience. It's something you're told to do, mm -hmm. but it's a very symbolic action. There's nothing mystical about baptism that's going to change anything. Mm -hmm. And it's more than just about purifying oneself. That would take us very much into the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. uh, there's all kinds of Hebrew terms we could throw around on that. Mm -hmm. um, it's about being buried and resurrected with Christ. I yeah. hope all of this stuff, it's all tied into the symbolism. Yeah. And, and to pull off the symbolism, we're not going big time into that for, for our podcast here, but if you remove immersion um, the symbolism is greatly diminished. Uh, that mm -hmm. going under and coming up is a big part of the symbolism. So it's not that it's wrong. It's just that it weakens the symbolism. But that being said, um, just to throw out a little scenario, our good friend Ray, when Ray was around, he had a good friend in his, he was one of these end-of-life baptisms. Mm -hmm. And in that, he uh, Ray comes in at first, he's a, you know, he's kind of like a little concerned. This man, you know, really at the end of life thought about it. He really wants to obey the Lord in his last days, really, be mm -hmm. baptized. And so, but he said, he can't even leave the house. He said, and, and he's that sick. I mean, we 
can't, we can't immerse him. Mm. I mean, he'd be going to see the Lord quicker than than, right. than planned. Right. And this is, but is there something we can do? Is there something that is still biblical? Mm-hmm. I said, right. Yeah. When you look at the uh, at what this is all about, there sure is. And so we went over to his home. We were in his living, uh, not his living room, his kitchen. We had a towel on one side and a big bowl of water on the other, and it was it was kind of a sprinkling. It was more than a sprinkling, but it was as close to a dunk as we could get. You know, right, it's more right. like shampooing someone's hair almost. Yeah. But all the necessities were in there, mm-hmm. and so um, all the intent. And yeah. The, right. the only witness was really Ray and, mm-hmm. and Will me being there. Uh, the only immersion was as far as a bowl would take you, mm. but it it was in fact one of the a very authentic uh, baptism. So. Uh, there's certainly mm. latitude yes. involved. Yeah. So, it, if there's no way to immerse a person, like you said, mm-hmm. like if they're on their deathbed, mm-hmm. deathbed, or maybe even a scarcity. Sa- yeah, scarcity of water. Sure. I mean, there's there's places right yeah, now right, that are the, you're right in big time scarcity of water. And um, but somehow I thought about does it even have to be water? I'm, I'm, maybe you could push it as far as some liquid. Mm-hmm. But even with the Ethiopians, a good example is that mm-hmm. the idea of the water as something precious is being used to 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 illustrate something precious. Mm-hmm. But how much and and how far you're under is not uh, is not the main thing. Yes, mm-hmm. I guess the way to wrap it up would be is that full immersion fits the biblical ideal. If you can do that routine, that's what we should be doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but God's gracious in the extenuating circumstances. So right. it's it's the heart more than the water. Yes, yes. Yeah. Okay, on to our next question. Is there a certain age for baptism? For some denominations, you could be too old. Yes, <laughs> so depending. Some could be too young. So. Yeah, yeah, depending. Uh, you're very right in that. Is it is it in in a denomination's theology mm. will affect their theology on baptism, which is going to raise this very practical question of when. Mm-hmm. Now we have a whole uh, mainstream current of infant baptism. Uh, that's a whole other theology than where we we sit. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in the scope of of a, of a little uh, webcast, uh, you know, we're not going to go into all of that, and I'm not going to say anything against how anyone else does it. I'll just say that from my standpoint, looking at Scripture, that uh, the, there's only one paradigm that really works, and that is the believer's baptism. Uh, simply because other things can be argued, uh, and I'm not going to dismiss them. However, nobody can argue against believers' baptism from a biblical standpoint. Right. That's the model. Mm-hmm. And uh, how Peter handles it in Acts chapter 2 is, is really um, uh, explains a whole lot to us. Like, if you look at the whole chapter, actually 1 and 2, uh, as it comes in, if you look at the whole thing, it's like, Okay, here's Peter in chapter 2. The Holy Spirit comes down. Peter explains Christ and the nature of God in such a way that the mainly Hebrew listeners listening to it understand what he's saying. They're convinced by what he's saying. And then he points out uh, that, okay, you understand this? Well, guess what? You you killed Christ. You, Mm -hmm. You killed your own Messiah. They're all cut to the heart. You can't get away from that. 
they know something's terribly wrong. They don't have any idea how to correct it. Peter, how do we correct this situation? And and then once he has changed the direction, he tells them, it's starting, their understanding, change the direction of your mind and stop moving away from God's intent and start moving towards God's intent. In other words, like last week we talked about, repent. Exactly, and the repenting. And keep in mind, this is something to really think about, is he's not a bunch, uh, you know, a bunch of um, pagan individuals. So he's talking to the religious people of the time, mm-hmm. and, and it just really illustrates that you can have the right intention and go about the right intention in the wrong way. Right. So, But once they understood, they were in a position to respond. That's important. They were understood, now they were in a position to respond. And the response was the physical act of baptism. Mm-hmm. Uh, but baptism from this new understanding they have. So what you're saying is if a person's <clears throat> old enough to understand, they're old enough to be baptized. That's what it comes down to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And in my experience... Um, um, the youngest person I've ever witnessed baptized, now I wasn't even thinking about being a pastor back in that day, really, mm. was a five-year-old. Mm. And this little girl, believe me, she was extraordinary. I mean, she, was, um, <laughs> she, was, she was quite an incredible little girl. But somehow at the age of five, she grasped what baptism means. And mm-hmm. uh, the pastor at the time, still one of the most respected pastors I've ever known, understood it and allowed it. Mm-hmm. The oldest, I think we kind of got into that story uh, on the deathbed. So, you know, individuals in the radius, probably the oldest. And here's the thing as I think about both of them. The challenge being is when they're young, the big challenge is can they really grasp the abstract concept of, of what this is all about? Right, right. And then for the adult and the older person, it is how much are they in baggage of a mistaken or uh, understanding or an ulterior motive? And there's all kinds of them uh, floating around. So each age has their challenge in proper understanding. Right. And so um, when I I, I was trying to think of when our second daughter was baptized, Mm -hmm. the pastor did a really wise thing. Mm -hmm. And he had her write a letter to her future self. Um, explaining why she got baptized. Mm-hmm. Do you remember? Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and and this is important because you run into this question mm-hmm. is if you're a young person in particular and you're baptized, uh, you're going to learn a whole lot about God after that. I mean, if right. you're baptizing, your understanding is going to increase. Right. So it, it becomes a problem is uh, it happens over and over. People people grow in their faith, and maybe even, especially people in a big spurt, mm-hmm. um, they they're going along, and all of a sudden there's this epiphany that happens, and they go, "Did I really understand enough to even be baptized?" Mm-hmm. And and um, and the point is, in well, how much is enough? Even for the pastor, even as I'm teaching children and stuff, well, how much is enough? Mm-hmm. Understanding that God is doing something you need done, uh, understanding who he is and then who you are in relation to him. Mm-hmm. And of course, our daughter went through this too. And um, and, and so this pastor had her uh, write this letter, which I understand from you. Uh, you told me after I was flying back in those days. Mm-hmm. So a lot of really cool stuff happened that I just 
uh, hear from you, and you told me that in fact you you uh, she hit a, an age where you ended up pulling out this letter, and she did end up reading it. It was, it was very reassuring. Yeah, yeah she did. That's, yeah, she that's did read. So um, I thought this was such a wise thing to do that we incorporated in ours. Is one, if understanding is is a key element in believers' baptism. You're not going to understand. Your baptism won't mean any more than what you understand. So mm-hmm. we, we try and give a short but extremely thorough class, one based for children, one based for adults. Uh, and in the children's one, uh, I, I got to the point where I said even adults need to do this, is at the end of this class I have them write a Dear Me at 17 mm-hmm. letter. Yeah. And the point of the letter is, okay, I want you to write down right now, prove to you at, here you are at 10 or 12 or whatever you are, prove to yourself at 17 you understood enough that when you get baptized, you understood, you're not a, going to seminary here, but you understood enough to follow through in this act of obedience. Mm. Uh, and um, it's like the final test, if you will. Right, <laughs> See right. How, how ready they really are. So. Okay, we've talked about different ways of performing a believer's water baptism, and basically they're versions of the same act. But here um, comes our next question. Okay. Are there different types of baptisms? Yes, and no pastor speak here. Let me say unequivocally, uh, and <laughs> I took a chance trying to say that dry, you know, throwing that word out. The, the answer to this is yes, and in fact it is so much a yes that water baptism really doesn't mean that much without the second baptism. Which is? Well, uh, I'm going to have you tell us, because I'm, I'm going to set this up and have you read this verse. Okay. Matthew 3, 11. Okay, I didn't set it up yet, oh, though. Okay, go set it Here, up. Here's John. <laughs> <laughs> You're stealing my thunder. <laughs> what a bad girl. Um John the Baptist is baptizing in the Jordan River. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he, this is John the Baptist, is making this claim that you're about to read. Okay. Matthew three eleven, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, water baptism, when you think about it, I know it's understanding and all this, but it's a response. So it's a human act of faith and commitment. Mm -hmm. The second baptism is opened up by the first, but it is completely beyond human control. So how does this baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire work? Yeah, because it sounds pretty ominous, doesn't it? And cool. Well, we and we can get a, a wide variety depending on your uh, your slant of theology, a wide variety of thought on this. Mm. But as wide as it is, any any biblical church, we all will come to some points of agreement in this. Uh, we would agree on this baptism of the Holy Spirit, because when we talk about fire, well, guess what? It was fire that came down in the second chapter down mm-hmm. on the apostles. Yep, little little flames is, is, is explained. Every kid has some picture in their head on that one. But so fire is equates to the to the power of the Holy Spirit, of course. Mm. So we're talking baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, where everybody will agree would be this: it's the uh, in, in the biblical mainstream church, 
the third person of the triune God uh, becomes present inside. That's what it's all about. The, this person of God takes up residence in you mm -hmm. and that changes everything. Now, here, here's maybe a bit of a mind blower. This is not a New Testament concept. Mm. This is an Old Testament concept. The difference being is in the Old Testament, it was this promise that was out there waiting yet right. to be filled. Mm -hmm. And so by the time Christ comes along, that's why I didn't come to do away with the Old Testament. I came to fulfill it, mm -hmm. to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, this is where the Holy Spirit all has all to do with this presence of God within the person. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And there's a thread of this promise we can follow all the all way the through way. Scripture. Yes. So here's that promise un unfolding, and that's going to... By verses alone. By verses alone. You've memorized every one of these. <laughs> I can't wait to hear it. Ezekiel 11.19, And I will follow them one heart, and a new spirit I will put... Did I say that? And I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put in within them. Mm -hmm. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. Then Jeremiah 31, 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I'll put my law within them and I'll write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. John 4, 23 and 24. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. I'm sorry. I'm, You're rolling, rolling. rolling right Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And lastly, 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Well, shame on me. I destroyed the entire illusion that you had memorized all those <laughs> verses. But what an astounding thing mm -hmm. you just read. You started basically in 592, somewhere around 590 B.C., mm -hmm mentioning this promise, and it carries through by the last text you read was probably around 9080. That means there's over seven centuries of this unbelievable promise mm. unfolding. Not a new invention, something yeah. that spans both Testaments, the Bible as a whole. Uh, and and since this, something to keep in mind, since this long thread you, you read dealt with um, it incorporated water baptism to a degree in it. It also incorporated the baptism of fire or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Mm. So what that means is over these seven centuries spanning both testaments, here we have the baptism of water and the baptism of fire being unthreaded in this promise. Mm. Wow. Mm. I realize there's a lot more that we could share, but to wrap this up, this here's our last question. Okay, I, I'm surprised. I just got so amazingly excited talking about this. Uh, I'm just going to have to go out and grab a random stranger and baptize them. <laughs> oh dear. All right, our last question. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> what are the non-negotiables for biblical baptism? You know, those points on which we simply can't cross the line and still be right with God. Right, and, and you know, we pretty much uh, covered them. Mm. You know, in what we're talking, but. 
here, here's the thing is that if we understand these things, it's like a tool. It's like this will separate the questions that are merely distracting questions from the ones that are vital yeah. uh, of the, this is what it's really all about. Right. And if you did a, a survey or if we sat down, we worked through an entire survey, this is what I would say we would find. One is we'd find that motivation is everything, is that people need to realize baptism, it isn't a magic bullet. Mm-hmm. It's not some, here's God, you're okay from now on formula. Mm-hmm. It's not a protective blanket uh, that uh, you do this and, you know, your universal coverage kicks in type of thing. <laughs> yeah. um, the motivation in Scripture all alone is one thing. It's, it's a repentance. You were thinking wrong. Now you know you were thinking wrong, and you change direction of the mind, which ultimately changes direction of the body mm-hmm. in the way you live. Um, there's uh, an honest desire in all of this, not only to follow Christ, if we went into the full symbolism, not only to follow Christ, but to be like him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a commitment to be, like you read in the last verse you read, to be the temple of yeah. God. Uh, that's where baptism leads. Yeah. And so a believer's response, and this is, I got to say, we're talking the believer's response or believer's baptism mm-hmm. is in obedience. And it's either understanding these important things or nothing at all. Mm-hmm. Which brings us into the second non-negotiable. As far as I'm concerned, there's a level you must understand. understand. Yeah. If you don't, how can you react to something properly of which you have no understanding? Uh, this mm-hmm. the, I'm going to get in a lot of trouble for this, so I'm going to say it anyway. I think it's criminal to baptize someone who has v- just the vaguest notion of what they're doing mm-hmm. or not check to make sure that they know what they're doing. Like, just on a spur, I'm afraid I can't go there. Mm-hmm. Baptism is an act of obedience that comes from a changing, a change of understanding. If you don't have the change of understanding, which is who God is, that's why you're baptized in the name of, and then uh, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is a very um, biblical definitive thing. It's an understanding that you can't do this on your own and you need the divine intervention. Uh, That's what it's all about. If you don't understand those things... Stay out of the water. <laughs> and, of course, this is <clears throat> allowing for growth and, and, you know. Absolutely. I mean, you don't have to to be, you know, like we said, if you're, you're understanding baptism at the seminary level before you're baptized, you probably waited too long to be <laughs> baptized. You know, it probably should have happened earlier. It's, it's the first command, not the last one. So, yeah, there's a lot of room. Uh, in that response. And, and like we say, the baptism itself, it can't be any truer than the understanding that compels it, mm-hmm. since it's an act of obedience. Mm-hmm. Uh, a third factor that I put in there is, is the ritual. I know ritual is a bad word in, in authentic Christianity, bad thing, ritual. But there is a ritual to baptism, and sometimes ritual does play its part. For instance, in baptism, if we look at it, we we already touched, we said 700 years in the unfolding of the promise 2,000 years ago. So we yeah. got nearly 3,000 years uh, of, of, of a, a ritual response in some way involving water, dealing with this getting right with God. There's a, and it's all about 
an eternal consequence. So mm. there's this timeless factor. Yeah. The thing about baptism, if I if I were to use the word magic, would be this: the understanding is always new. Mm. You know, repentance comes from a new understanding. Right. The understanding is always new, but what is understood is timeless. Mm. Right. So yeah. people. Uh, you think of it, it's fun, kind of, if you ever do this, get on pictures, just bring up baptism. People nowadays will be baptized in every conceivable container, you name it, oil, drums, pools, you know, whatever, saunas, baptized in every conceivable container that can hold water and is big enough for a human body. It's been done. Mm. Uh, but I'll say this for every biblical church, They've stayed very, very careful, no matter what the the paraphernalia, very, very careful to stay with the biblical symbolism hmm. that that is involved here. And they stay as close as possible. And I appreciate that of churches. Mm -hmm. Hmm. So by far, the two <clears throat> biggest non-negotiables in baptism are the proper understanding and motivation. So Christ followers... Need to do it, but they need to do it right. Oh, well said. They need to do it, but do it right. <laughs> so, uh, and it's, um, it, it lets us know it is possible to do the right thing the wrong way. But God gives us a lot of latitude. It's, it's It becomes so much more this matter of the mind, heart, and will. Uh, but and, and that means when we do the right thing the right way, there's mm. a whole lot of power in that. Mm. Okay, well... On to our closing song for this week, yes. and it fits well with our discussion. Mm -hmm. It's a serious reflection on understanding God, how deep the Father's love for us. Mm -hmm. Sounds like an old traditional hymn, but it was actually written in 1995 by... I did not know that. ...Christian writer Stuart Town Townend. I always want to say Townsend. Townend. Yeah, because you're a big Sorry, Stuart. Fan, yeah. <laughs> he said, the melody just came to him spontaneously, but a great deal of reflection went into the lyrics. The more he thought about it, the more he was moved by how much it cost God to save a fallen humanity. Mm. And the result was a song. Mm. So may we live in the richness that the Father has afforded us. And until next week, be blessed, everybody. See ya.
You can also catch our live stream on Canaan Community's Facebook, YouTube, or your favorite podcast app.